You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Onyx Maps. Now, Onyx is a digital mapping app that you download directly to your phone, mobile device, and you can even use it on your desktop. But what is great about it, the functionality here, is that you can drop waypoints and you can mark tree stand locations. You can mark trail camera locations, scrapes, rubs, bedding areas you can document all that so it's like a living journal of your properties that you hunt now what's great about this it can be used on a small scale let's say like a 40 acre farm or like we did on our mule deer hunt out west this 33,000 acre uh, big chunk of public ground it can allow you to document everything that you've seen on there as well glassing points where the mule deer were coming in and out and so much more if you want to find out more about the functionality of onyx visit onyxmaps.com and for first-time users you can use the discount code nation20 for 20 percent off All right, everybody, welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast brought to you by Vortex Optics. Today, we're going to be talking with South Carolina native Croft Griffin about his annual pilgrimage north to Kentucky for the rut, to hunt the rut there. And uh, we talk a little bit at the beginning of the podcast about South Carolina, his likes, his dislikes about this state, the fact that you can shoot a million deer a season if you want to from the sounds of it, and then what had kind of led him to this uh, to this trip to Kentucky every year now. So that's how the podcast starts. Then we get into the meat and potatoes where we talk about his Kentucky hunt right uh, what led him to the direction of where he put his stand on the morning that he uh, killed a really dandy buck and uh, all the previous five years that led to that decision so it was like all the years leading up to that particular hunt or that year led him into that stand and he harvested a really good buck only three hours into the trip so uh it's one of those mind-blowing ones because i have yet to show up in a stand 
and just kill a deer one season. It takes me a couple days or like this year, I had to grind it out for 13 days to get the job done. And, um, you know, sometimes you, you get uh, some seasons that are real quick and short. Sometimes they're long and they make you work for it. And uh, this is the first thing that I mentioned. This is the easy season from the sounds of it. So overall, really interesting podcast. Lots of uh, cool information about uh, how he hunts in South Carolina versus how he hunts in Kentucky. And, uh, you know, we don't typically get a lot of quote-unquote southern information on this podcast, but uh, that's why I like talking to guys like Croft who are southern. I guess South Carolina would be considered a southern state. I guess uh, Kentucky would probably be considered kind of a southern state and the quality of deer that go along with those states. So interesting podcast. I'm kind of rambling now, but before we get into this episode, I want to send a huge shout out to Vortex Optics, man. They make awesome optics, right? I have a spotting scope from them. I have a rangefinder from them. I have a pair of binoculars that I've had for a long time from them. And they've been busted two times, right? By my own... I don't, I'm, I'm hard on equipment, right? So it's awesome to know that when my optics fail, whether it's damaged right or it's my fault probably i damaged them i know that one year i had a seal cracked the other uh and and it got moisture in there so it was hard to see anything out of them the second time i think i dropped them out of my truck and it broke the whole front end off of the one of the eyepieces uh so both times send them in they fix it and they send it back and there's no charge it's their warranty it's how they operate and uh, if you're looking to Uh, get with a company who really takes care of their customers vortex optics is that company so uh, if you want to find out more information about all of their uh, all the products they make rifle scopes and spotting scopes and binos and range finders go to vortexoptics.com and that was the commercial and this is the episode so now we're getting into this uh, podcast with croft griffin enjoy all right, everybody, on the phone with me right now, Mr. Croft Griffin. How you doing, man? Doing good, Dan. How are you? I can't complain. I am, uh, this, I'll tell you what, this is the second episode that I have recorded in my new Sportsman's Nation Galactic headquarters, which is basically a loft above my garage that I've transferred into kind of this new office. So it's, uh, it's taking me a while to get used to the new setup, but I mean, it's only episode number two, but I'm, I'm Jack dude. Heck yeah. I, uh, I feel pretty honored to be the second one then. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. This is like, this is episode, I think it's going to be, it's either going to be episode 699 or it's going to be episode 701. However, I okay. decide to do it, but, uh, yeah, man. Uh, now, my that's question, a lot of episodes. Yeah, it's a lot of episodes. I talked to my wife the other day and the only thing that came out of her mouth was, man, that's a lot of time, you know, away, you know, that's a, that's a lot of time in that bedroom. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so episode 700 will be the first episode that has been done completely out of this room. So uh, I'm pretty, cool. I'm pretty jacked about that. Heck yeah. Yeah. So you sent me a message. And it looks like you had a pretty good season, man. 
so far yeah um so i haven't had a whole lot of time to hunt here in south carolina um where i'm from uh, you know i've got i've got a one-year-old and that that keeps me real busy yeah um but something i always look forward to every year is um the trip we take out uh to kentucky um this would be my fourth consecutive year uh with with me and my buddies going out there so that's something i always get to look forward to um come november cool so before we get into that uh, kentucky trip and we talk about the buck that you eventually killed i want to talk to you about south carolina because it is a state that i feel we don't talk about on this uh podcast enough and i'm to be honest with you i don't even know um i don't even know if uh, we've talked about South Carolina at all. Give me one second. I'm going to cough. Uh, I think... Sorry about that. Had to cough my brains out <laughs> real quick. I think there's still some <laughs> construction dust in the air up here. <laughs> no, man. So, um, I think we briefly touched on South Carolina um, last time I was on with you. Okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, what, what you got shoot from the shoot. Yeah. So South Carolina, um, from, from where I sit, you know, I sit here at the mountaintop roughly in Iowa. Everybody wants to come to Iowa. Everybody thinks there's big deer all over the place in Iowa. And then you got Illinois and you got Kansas and Ohio even. Uh, and then you have some secondary states, uh, from, from where you sit in South Carolina, what's the, deer herd like there (laughs) uh less than desirable um explain that you know uh so i would say that we have a pretty good deer population um but i i don't think you know in in my opinion the deer as far as like bucks go i mean they they don't tend to be as big because i think a lot of people have that mentality like, oh, if I don't shoot it, my neighbor's gonna. Yeah. Um, and you see that a lot here. Um, our tag system's pretty crazy. I mean, you can shoot like, I think it's like 12 or 13 deer here every year. Um, and then you can buy actually additional tags uh, on top of that. So if and, there's any left over, you can go out and buy more more tags. Well, I think right off the rip, you can buy more tags because my the first year that they actually started buck tags out here, uh, I think it was two years ago, um, the DNR here, um, they send you, when you buy your license, they send you like an initial set of, of tags, which is like you get four doe tags and two buck tags. Well, I didn't know that they did that, and I sent off and like bought an additional set of tags. So I had double of what was given to me originally. So I had 12 deer tags and there's no way I would have shot that many deer. Um, but so you get your initial set of tags, your four doe tags, your two buck tags. And then if you want to purchase additional tags, you can, but there's antler restriction on your bucks. So it has to be at least four points on one side and a 12 inch inside minimum spread. Okay. Um, so with all those tags, do you know anybody who is filling them all? 
unfortunately uh i do um and and then some like there's there's a guy that i work with uh who was bragging last year how he shot like 30 deer (laughs) um which is insane i mean he was having like aunts uncles siblings mom dad buy tags so he could go out and just shoot deer which is just insane to is me. that legal and, uh i mean as long as it has a tag on it so in iowa i can't go get a tag from my neighbor or my mom like let's say my mom or my wife buys a tag i can't use that tag to go and hunt they right. have to hunt so in south carolina it sounds like you can transfer tags from one person or the next. So like, as long as, and I've never done this, so I I don't really know how it exactly works, but like, say you're, you and I are hunting here in South Carolina and I've got a buck tag, but you don't. And you wanted to shoot a buck that you saw. You could tag it with my tag and then I would just have to go with you to the processor or whatever. Or, you know, you could, there's, there's no like real check stations here in South Carolina. So you really, you wouldn't even really have to check that deer or, you know, tag it if you didn't want to. You just cut it up yourself and process it and no one would ever know is, okay. is the sad, the sad truth behind it. Right. So that's not how it should go, but no, absolutely that's not. what people do. Yeah. Okay. And and I, I feel like a lot of people do that. Um, unfortunately, you know, it, I wish that, I, I think we're getting, better as far as our tagging systems go but we still have a lot of work to do um you know the amount of bucks that are allowed to be um taken and and tagged is just i think it's too many um and to get the quality of deer that i would like to see here you know i think that that it should be way more strict yeah yeah that's crazy so with all those tags that are available to are they only available to residents or is South Carolina an over-the-counter tag for non-residents? Uh, I think you can buy tags uh, as a um, as a non-resident. Now it's, it's I think it's pretty pricey, um, but I don't I can't can't tell you the last time I heard a person wanting to uh, you know buy a tag for South Carolina. Yeah. Yeah, oh, I'm using my so, uh, vacation, and I'm going to South Carolina for uh, a week. <laughs> exactly. Like, yeah, no, no one out there is saying that. Right, right. All right, so when I hear that they're able to get a lot of tags, I also assume that there is a high number of deer in the state. And maybe the quality's poor, but are there a high number? There's a pretty good number of deer in the state. Um, where I'm at in the upstate, I would say that the numbers are for sure lower, um, but the lower part of the state, there are definitely, uh, the numbers are significantly higher, um, which is, it seems kind of backwards to me because the season lasts so long. Um, The season in the lower part of the state, what we call the low country, starts on August 15th and runs till January 1st. Okay. And you can use a rifle the whole time. Oh. So, yeah. and that's that's statewide. Like, I so, can then, show so, up and so you like, can start, start shooting, uh, using your rifle from opening day de- all the way to closing day. And that that's, that's the low country. Okay. So, where I'm at in the upstate, um, bow season comes in September 15th. Um, and then muzzleloader comes in. October 1st 
and then rifle season comes in October 11th. But the whole the whole time, you know, from day one of bow season, you can use your bow the whole time. Okay. Um, as long as like you know it's bow season, you can use from bow season on. You can use your bow from muzzleloader season on. You can use your muzzleloader, and then when rifle comes in, you can use your rifle. But I I don't rifle hunt. Um, I just I don't know it it. I put down my rifle like four or five years ago. It was just anticlimactic to me anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, I just enjoy bow hunting way more. Right. Right. So man, your state just gets pounded with rifle pressure the entire year. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So what's the terrain like, uh, up where you're, where you're at and, uh, throughout the state, you know, I, so is it flat where people can really take advantage of the, the rifle season or is there a lot of vegetation to where you still have to do some type of scouting you definitely need to do some some scouting you know where we hunt here um there's a this year i'm i'm completely public land um i dropped the leases that i had um and and went strictly public land and there's seventy thousand acres uh in the national forest here where where we've been hunting um and the terrain where we're you know the area that we're hunting is pretty hilly um it was it was funny a buddy of mine uh and i were out there hunting or we were scouting to hunt and he had been to this spot scouting before he took me in there and we were just looking around i was like oh my god did we just did we just like warp into kentucky because these hills were just massive and he was like i know it's just it, it reminds me so much of the terrain in kentucky um where we go every year and so it's very mixed. So you'll have your flatlands, like your, you know, your ag fields, um, in the lower part of the state. And you have that in the upper part of the state as well. Um, but for sure in the upstate, you know, it's more mountainous, um, as you go towards, um, the mountains and all, it, it gets more hilly, um, with your mix in of, you know, fields and, and whatnot. But the lower part of the state is definitely more flat, um, and there's lots of like tobacco fields, uh, cotton fields, corn fields and what have you. Yeah. So quick question. It, you mentioned tobacco and cotton, which is a staple in the South, right? So question is, do deer eat tobacco or cotton plants at all? I've got no idea. I've okay. never actually hunted over a cotton field or a tobacco field. Um, most of the, most of the hunting we do is, um, you know, I, I like to hunt hardwoods, um, you know, find lots, lots of acorns and set up on a, a ridge top. But, um, I mean, there's lots of guys that, you know, I, I imagine, you know, you got a 200 acre field or something like that, or a hundred acre field that's, you know, crops, someone's going to be sitting up in there in a, uh, you know, box blind with a rifle waiting for something to come out. So I imagine they, they either use it for bedding or, um, they, they could eat it, I, I, but I, I'm not very knowledgeable on that. Yeah. Okay. So then how do you guys approach your, uh, the terrain that you have access to? Is there, is it different than you do when you go to Kentucky or is it formal, you know, pretty much the same? Um, so it's, it's been very similar. Um, you know, obviously hunting on public land, we try and find spots where, you know, we don't think anyone else is, 
going to go, um, which we've been pretty successful at this year. You know, we have gotten no trail camera pictures of, um, of other people, um, you know, back where we've been hunting. Um, so, you know, drive up, park on the side of the road and, and, you know, walk in. Um, whereas I find a lot of public land hunters to be lazy here in South Carolina. Um, you know, a lot of guys just want to park their truck on the side of the road and walk a hundred yards and, you know, set up on the, you know, side of a hill or whatever, and, you know, wait for a deer to come by, they can shoot with their rifle. Yeah. Whereas, you know, we, we got to be a little more tactful and, you know, get back to where the deer actually are. Um, and just kind of be a little smarter about where we access and how we're accessing where we're hunting and, um, just make sure that we're, you know, smart about it. Gotcha. Gotcha. So then does that answer, does that answer your question? Yeah. So you just have to go a little, you, you personally try to go a little bit further than the hundred yards that everybody else is going. Absolutely. Um, I think the, the two spots that we've been hunting, uh, here, you know, this season have been at least three quarters of a mile off the road. Um, so, I mean, once you, I think once you kind of hit that, that three quarters of a mile, half mile, three quarters of a mile, people aren't really going back that far. Right. Um, I just, in, in my opinion, I could be wrong. I mean, there's, there's sure there has to be someone going somewhere that's, you know, as gun ho as we are. And they're like, okay, well, we need to get off the road further. But for the most part, I mean, you just, I, in my opinion, I feel like guys are just, trying to get in there easy and set up to hunt. Gotcha. All right. So I don't even know when's the rut in South Carolina. Um, so like, man, it'll run like end of October through like middle of November. Um, it'll start off like end of October and then just kind of, you know, taper into the full blown rut. And then right now, I mean, there, I haven't seen anything chasing, um, within the last you know week i hunted yesterday and didn't really see much action so gotcha. i think the rut's pretty much much done right now gotcha okay so it almost uh, from what you're saying it sounds like it's a bit earlier than because iowa you know everybody says the rut is it's i mean it's i would say iowa is a traditional rut you know the yeah uh, the first two weeks into the third week of november right that's the okay. that's the peak of the rut so you're saying uh, down there, it's, it might even be a little bit earlier. Yeah. And it, and it could fluctuate too, man, like from, from year to year. Um, like I've, I've seen huge rutting action, you know, in the first couple of weeks of November. Um, and then sometimes you won't, it's just, I guess it just depends on the year. Um, and I, I don't really know what to like attribute that to. Um, I don't know if it's, you know, due to, uh feeding or you know whatever you know doe population or or, you know what it really has to do with but it it fluctuates gotcha okay so do you prefer i mean do you even spend a lot of time hunting south carolina now or do you just kind of hold off and go big in kentucky I sure as heck don't want to anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I, uh, man, like I've been ruined. Um, no, I mean, 
Historically, yes, I, I hunt South Carolina a lot. Um, but like I said earlier, you know, uh, having a one-year-old has really slowed me down a lot this year, and not in a bad way. You know, we I try and um, balance that hunting family time life. Um, but there has has been a couple times where uh, I might have gotten in trouble with the wife when I went hunting and probably shouldn't have. Um, but you know, we've all been there, my friend. <laughs> it happens, but, um, you know, I generally I hunt pretty hard in South Carolina. Um, but I have also from, you know, September 15th to January 1st to, to do that. Whereas, you know, when we go out to Kentucky, we're there for a week and we know like we're there for a com- like completely different reason. Like it's, we're there to kill a big buck. Like we don't have a whole, season we have one week to complete complete that task so we hunt super hard when we're out there and by the end of the week we're all just ready to you know pass out and sleep for another week but yeah then reality hits right right so you hunt hard in south carolina um is that i mean is that a fill fill the freezer type of hunt or are you practicing the same kind of looking for a mature buck or what's your What's your standard or what's your goal in South Carolina? For sure. Um, you know, I'm looking for a big deer. Um, I, I, I'm not going to take a, a immature buck. You know, if I want to fill the freezer, I'm going to just shoot a doe. Um, and, and even then, like I'm looking for a good, like mature doe. I'm not going to shoot, you know, a 70, 80 pound doe. Um, unless it comes down to like the last day of the season and that's all I have. And I've got no meat in the freezer. Um, you know, that would be a different story, but I'm, I'm definitely not a, a meat hunter. Um, I like to, you know, if I have the same mentality as, you know, the, the property neighbor next door, you know, that might, you know, not practice that and, and it, you know, practice, you know, shooting mature deer, what, what am I contributing to, you know, our, our deer herd? Right. Right. All right. So, uh, you're, you're still going out. You're not, you're not there stacking them. No, no. All right. So what in your opinion then is a good quality deer out of South Carolina? If you had asked me this yesterday, I'd have told you like a one twenty. if you shoot a one twenty in South Carolina, you're doing awesome. Um, one four year old, one twenty three year old, two year old. Probably three three and a half four okay Okay. um now with that said um there was a guy yesterday i think actually yeah this morning it's monday right yeah Yeah, this morning shot a third a 12 or a 13 point out of traveler's rest south carolina and it was a just absolute giant double drop time stud um i don't know the guy i I saw the 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 news um the news ad about it on facebook and it actually ends up that a buddy of mine had this deer on camera for the last three years and then um this this other guy shot it i don't know if if it was with a rifle or with a bow or, or what um the uh the article is pretty vague but just an absolute giant. I don't know what he scored, but I mean, a 12 point double drop time is, 
is just not the norm for here for sure. Right. Uh, definitely a buck of a lifetime for South Carolina. Yeah. So they got them. If they can get old, they got them. Just just like anywhere, you know. You hear story. Oh, yeah. you, you hear stories about <clears throat> guys killing slammers in less desirable states, and uh, they have awesome genetics, and they got yep. old. And then with yeah. those two, you know, you add those two things up and they get old and then they can get big. So they um, were able to stay in the shadows for long enough. Yeah. Have you ever seen a hunting South Carolina? Have you ever seen a really big buck from the tree stand? Um, no, no. I, to be honest, no, I, I've had a lot of big deer on camera. Um, but I've never connected with a, a deer of that caliber here in South Carolina. Gotcha. Um, a couple of my buddies, my buddy Clayton Bond shot a really good deer on a lease that we used to have. Um, and I mean, it, it was for South Carolina, just a stud buck. Uh, I can't remember if it was an eight or a 10 point, but just, a. I mean, they're here, but they're not like, they're definitely few and yeah they're yeah. definitely few and far between because i just think that you know I, I don't think that as a like the state as a whole has the mentality of like good like buck management and what what that should be right right so so have you tagged out uh in the last couple of years in in uh in south carolina have you found what um, you're looking for? No. I mean, I've shot a couple does here in South Carolina. Um, the last couple of years, I, I, I took two does last year. And the year before that, I shot I shot an eight-point. It um, was like a two-and-a-half-year-old. Um, so, And this was on like a, uh, a little private track of land that I had access to or that I have access to um, at my father-in-law's. Um, gotcha but it's, it's just, it's small and the deer just don't grow real big around there. Um, unfortunately, but okay. maybe one day that'll change. Hey, Hey, it, it could, it could. Let's see now what has, what, what kind of sparked your interest about you and your buddies kind of taking a trip to Kentucky going North? So I got into a, a club with some guys, actually I was in the club and they joined um, my buddy Clayton Bond and Trey Childers. Um, and the first year that I met them, they had been talking about going to Kentucky. And at that time, like, I didn't know anything about that. You know, wasn't really – didn't just met these guys, didn't really know what they were all about. Um, and then they came back, and I saw the deer that they shot. And I was like – I want in on that next year. Like for sure. I'm like, I am there. And I, I got lucky. They, uh, they invited me out. Um, you know, we, we planned it vacationed and, um, you know, we went and that was, this is, this has been my fourth year now, um, that I've been out there with the same guys. Um, some have dropped off some of, um, you know, some guys have been, uh, added to the group, but, uh, me, Clayton and Trey have stayed, steady this is this was their fifth year and this is my fourth so we've been a constant in the last uh five years all right so over that period of time uh like i guess when you first started going were you 
did you just look for leases? Were you a hundred percent public ground? Like what was that, what was that transition into what you're doing now? 100% public land. Okay. Um, we, and it's been, you know, that way ever since, you know, since the beginning, you know, they, they started going out there. It was public land. I got interested, knew it was public land, knew that it was going to be different from what I was used to. Um, in fact, when the first year I went out there, uh, Clayton told me, he said, just forget everything you know about deer hunting in South Carolina, because it's like, it's, you're going to get your world rocked out there. And year one was for sure, 100% without a doubt, a learning year out there. Um, in the sense of like, I had to relearn how to deer hunt in a different, in a different state. Cause it was just, I had never done anything like that. Um, you know, it was longer walks in the terrain was completely different from what I'd hunted, um, out here in South Carolina, um, at that time. Um, and it just, it, it for sure rocked my world and, and opened my eyes to um, what good deer hunting property actually looked like. Gotcha. Gotcha. So that first year, were you excited? Were you nervous when you made the decision to go up there? Or um, how did how did you start that process? Were you scouting? Were you I mean, digitally scouting? Did you make a trip up there just to scout outside of the season? So it was all, um, I did everything online, Onyx. I used Onyx. Uh, at first I used Google Maps. Um, and then I, I bought Onyx and used that and just kind of pinpointed areas that I, you know, thought looked good and places that I wanted to look at so that when I actually got out there and put boots on ground, um, I would, I would kind of know where I wanted to go and say, okay, yeah, this place looks good. Or, you know, when we get out there and look at it, like, oh, no, I don't really want to hunt here. Um, and just kind of mark where we had seen sign and where we had, you know, had buck encounters or, you know, doe encounters. Um, and it just kind of all snowballed from there. Um, just more data, now, like, more knowledge, more information, how to use the terrain, every, all that stuff exactly and then just every year getting a little bit better at it and a little bit better at it um and last year actually last summer um my buddy mark homan and i took a trip out to kentucky uh for a weekend uh last summer and, and hung a bunch of cameras and did some some good scouting um and that's when i got some of the best pictures of just giant deer um giant bucks that i had in previous years, you know, I had seen good deer and I'd had encounters with good deer, but never, never like this, never the amount of pictures that we had and definitely sure not the size. Um, I had one buck on camera that I, I ended up calling him Bullwinkle just cause he looked, he was just massive. Um, he just looked like a moose. Um, never did, did see him um while i was hunting that area but i did see uh two two different other shooters in that in that area um that that i got pictures of him on gotcha. but uh just you know that definitely that scouting trip was a game changer going out there and actually you know putting in just even a full day of scouting in uh in august and putting cameras out to get that intel for when we come back in november um, to, 
to know where the deer are using, you know, uh, you know, using the trails and seeing where they are and where they aren't. Right. Huge right. help. Right. So when you go now compared to when you went the first time, like, and this is just how I operated when I went on a, on my mule deer hunt this spring or excuse me, this fall, you start off with 33,000 acres. And then while we were mm-hmm. out there, we were able to hone it down to, you know, a smaller chunk is, uh, now that you're, you've been there that many years in a row, how many acres would you say you're hunting now compared to what you started off with? Um, so the first year I was pretty ambitious and trying to like go to a ton of different spots, um, and kind of move around the map a lot. But now, like, so this year I would, I would probably say I've got it narrowed down to the spots that I know I want to hunt to 5,000 acres. Okay. Um, just, you know, the thing out, you know, when you, when you go to hunt a huge chunk of public land, you just got to kind of pick a spot and go and work that area until you find good sign or don't. And if you, if you're just keep coming up empty handed, you got to move. You can't, you can't be afraid to move around. Um, because if, if you, if you stay somewhere where there's not deer sign, the, the likeliness of you getting a buck of the, you know, a, a good shooter buck is just not, you know, it's just not there. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about Kentucky then. What are, when you're out scouting, what are the terrain features that you were looking for or not necessarily that you were looking for, but you found once you started hunting there that, that held so, the best deer movement? I I personally like to hunt ridge tops. Um, I'll try and find pinch points where um, a, a bunch of different ridges come together, maybe on the, the top of a, you know, on the top of a ridge where there's two or three ridges dumping into it. Um, saddles, I'll look for saddles, you know, trying to find, um, and, you know, maybe sit in the middle of a saddle or on the, you know, upper third of one side of a saddle just to try and, you know, funnel deer where deer are going to actually funnel through. Um, so where, where I, you know, hunted this, this past year, well, this year, um, was, and where I killed was on the top of where a bunch of different ridges came together, um, to create this just kind of a flat, um, top on the, you know, top of these ridges and man, I connected. Yeah. Just, yeah. it just happened. So, yeah. So like, let, let me backstep a little bit. I, I left because that just sounds to me like it just sounds to me like you got lucky there. And dude, I I I got so lucky. (laughs) But but we're talking this year, right? Right. Yeah, this is this year. So, but that doesn't take into consideration the four previous years that you've been to this area and scouted and hunted and and, or and observed and all that stuff so when i like this was a spot that i knew that i wanted to hunt like i knew day one going in that where i was going the first morning gotcha Um, right and that was that because of previous intel from other years yes so where i hunted where i hunted and, and killed this year was where i had uh pictures of that big buck that i called bullwinkle and where i had uh, seen other deer on 
you know, an adjacent ridgetop where there's just too far out of range. So I knew that like historically that deer were using that, you know, they were rutting in there. Um, last year I saw one of the biggest deer I've ever seen in my life, uh, you know, chasing does at 80 yards away. And there's just nothing I could do at that time. You know, if I'd gotten down, you know, the likeliness of me actually sneaking up on a buck that's chasing does is just in my mind, not, you know, not practical. Um, so I just, I used that Intel from last year and I, I switched up my spot just a little bit instead of, you know, hunting on just one Ridge. I, I hunted where all those ridges came together and I had talked about this with, uh, my buddy Mark, um, on the way up there, you know, I left on a Wednesday after work and I'd called him cause he had been up there, uh, the, the earlier half of the week. And I was just like, Hey, you know, what, what do you think? Um, do you think that I should go and hunt this spot? You know, and he hadn't had any luck back there. He had seen deer, but it wasn't, you know, anything like this. And, you know, going in, I knew that that was the spot that I was going to hunt first morning. Um, so he, he agreed. He said, yeah, go back there, but this is where you need to move to and sit instead of just on one ridge top or another, give yourself the best advantage you have where these deer are going to come across this top, um, and run, you know, multiple ridges, not just one. Okay. So almost like a saddle where, where multiple, uh, ridges met, meet up. Exactly. Okay. All right. So you, you knew where you were, you already knew when you were, you know, through scouting, through past experiences, you knew that as soon as you would get to Kentucky, you knew where you were going to park your butt. Yep. Yep. Okay. So 100%. All right. So you kind of described this saddle or this, uh, this ridgetop system that you were, you were hunting. Let's talk about access. Uh, because this year of all the years, I really wanted to focus on access accessing my tree stand as low of an impact as humanly possible on the deer that were moving through there. And, um, some of them were, you know, some of them compared to the wind direction were kind of aggressive, but the, you know, the way the land would lay or the way the terrain would, uh, um, uh, I guess affect how the wind was blowing. You know, I wanted to think about all those things. So, accessing this location how did you do it so i'm i'm kind of i'm kind of going to backstep and this is going to go against everything that i've said on public land this spot is maybe 300 yards off the road um it's it's like if the leaves were dropped really well you could see the road um, and, and when I say road, this is a secondary, it's not like a, you know, this is not hard pack. It's, it's a dirt road. Um, and it's back off of the main hard pack, probably a mile. So, I mean, you can drive your truck in there with no problem. Um, so I, you know, I parked pretty much adjacent from where I was walking. So once I hit the wood line, like all I had to do was go straight and I walked in, in a valley cause it was in the morning. I, I knew it was cold. You know, the thermals were going to be down and I could access it just and walk straight up this Valley 
And when I hit the top of the valley, you know, where these two ridges came together, if you imagine if you, you know, your pointer finger and your, your middle finger, you know, as two ridges, I walked up the center. And when I got to where the, the, that V was, that's where I parked. And that's, that's exactly where I sat. And it was, it was as easy as that, you know, like I say, I did in a sense get lucky. Um, but I did know where I was going to hunt. Gotcha. Gotcha. And the access, uh, was airtight or were there some holes in it or, uh, or were you afraid of other people seeing you because you were so close to a road? Not really. Cause you know, in the past I hadn't seen a lot of people back there. Hadn't really seen a whole lot of vehicle movement back there. Um, so and I think it was a spot that got overlooked a lot because of how steep, um, how steep the hillsides actually are. And people are, again, I think a lot of people are, are lazy and they're like, I'm not climbing that. Well, if you find the access, then, you know, you're better off. Now, my buddy, Mark, he, he had been out earlier in October hunting and they had a trail camera actually stolen off of the top of the ridge where I killed. So, you know, maybe, you know, there are people going up there, but I, again, I just picked the right time. I was in the right, right tree in the right time. Right. Okay. Um, did you have to wait for a specific wind or was this, was this day one? You want you, this basically- was this. Yeah. So I, I get there, I get to Kentucky Wednesday night, Thursday morning, I'm going out hunting and this is day one hunt one. Like, Hadn't been in a tree for two hours. <laughs> my, uh, my buddy, my buddy Trey, uh, he, he made a joke and laughed about it. And it, it's funny because they had been out there the Saturday from the Saturday before I got there. Yeah. Um, till, you know, Friday when we left and those guys just hunted so hard. He made the joke. He said, everyone here hunted really hard except for crawl. He said, you just got lucky. <laughs> and he's not wrong in a sense of I, day one, hunt one. You know, I, I hunted hard for like three hours. And and then my hunt was over. That was it. I love it. It's like the first day of hunting for me, the like the first three hours of any hunt. Uh, of the first day it's like you don't even know where you're at yet you haven't you haven't even transitioned into hunting mode yet you know what i mean you're still your mind is still i guess uh it's almost like adjusting yeah adjusting to kill mode you know uh and what would i do if a deer even showed up and i mean you knew what you were doing so (laughs) (laughs) so let's talk about this um you you get to this this ridge top uh was there a lot of sign when you walked in i guess it was dark but uh, it was dark when you got to the stand could you see a lot of sign um honestly no and it had actually snowed the monday before i got there so there's still snow on the ground Ah. um and i I had seen like deer tracks going in um when i was walking into to where i was going and i actually saw um one bed in the middle of the valley behind a fallen tree um, I could see where there was a deer that had bedded down. Um, but as far as like active scrapes, um, and rubs, I, I didn't see a whole lot of that at all. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So, so I was, I was going in there a little bit blind, just not having 
I hadn't been out this past summer putting trail cameras out or anything like that, you know, so I was really just going off of a gut instinct. Like I knew that's where I wanted to be that morning. Yeah. Okay. And other, other than, you know, other than that, I don't really know why I chose that spot. Just, I guess, cause in previous years, you know, last year saw seeing big, big deer back there. I just kind of, I went off of that. Yeah. All right. So you get in the stand what did you see or notice as the sun coming is coming up that morning? So obviously, you know, I noticed there's still snow on the ground. So I'm kind of taking that in. This is the first time I'd ever hunted in, in snow and it wasn't a whole lot of snow, you know, I mean, I think that they got like one or two inches on Monday. So some of it had melted away already, but you know, for me, this is the first time I've hunted in snow. So I'm just kind of taking that in, you know, trying to look for any sign that I can while I'm sitting up in the tree. Um, I'm ranging different trees just to kind of see, get my bearings about, you know, okay, a, a deer is definitely, you know, if it comes through there, I've got it at, you know, X amount of yards or, or what have you. Um, so I'm doing that and, you know, the sun comes up, it's about seven o'clock and I see a shooter coming right towards me like straight like walking straight towards me um he's downwind and he's chasing two does well they get like 35 40 yards from me the does hairpin the other way and he he chases them and he's gone um like a and that was the first thing he was definitely a shooter like he wasn't as big as the deer that i shot but just he was, I was going to shoot this deer for sure. Like if he had come in, like my hunt was going to be over at 7 a.m. Um, but it just, it just didn't happen. Luckily so. It's a good um, sign. I mean, a, a yeah, shooter chasing a couple yeah. of does. Yeah. Like r- straight off the rip, just yeah. shooter chasing a couple of does. I'm like, all right, like, okay. Like I, I definitely hit this time. Correct. Cause in past years I'd gone out a whole week. Well, this year I only had, thursday friday saturday to hunt because my vacation just i took a, a vacation with family this this past summer so i didn't have the vacation time to, to spend a whole week out there um but even so uh they got super cold weather the first half of the week the snow came through i mean they were in the, the teens and single digits the first half of the week just freezing their tails off um so i, I kind of got through all of that without having to um freeze myself to death um and then it was like from wednesday to thursday from what all the guys that i was with said it just clicked and a light switch flipped and that rut was on yeah so i i don't think i could have gotten there at a better time right so you just showed up dominate go home I was, that was the shortest, that was the shortest <laughs> trip I'd had out there, man. Like, like I said, previous years, a week, I show up on Wednesday night, I kill Thursday and I'm gone Friday morning, like right. back to South Carolina. Right. But you so, know, I'm not unhappy about that. So that those does work away. They take the buck with them. Uh, what happened next? <clears throat> so I'm sitting there, that was about seven o'clock. I'm sitting there, not really seeing anything, bunch of squirrels, um, acorns dropping all around me. And it gets to be eight o'clock, still nothing, uh, eight thirty, nothing. Then all of a sudden I hear something coming from my downwind side on top of the ridge 
I'm sitting in a, um, I'm sitting in a tree saddle. So I'm, I'm sitting in my saddle, my back's facing down, down the ridges. So I'm facing like the top of the ridge top. And I look over my right shoulder and I see a blur just run straight underneath my tree where I was sitting. And this doe was running so fast. I didn't even know that it was a doe until she was gone. And right behind her, maybe 15, 20 yards, I'm just hearing this buck grunt and grunt. Every step he was taking, he was grunting. Wow. So I grabbed my bow. He passes underneath my stand. I'm not quite sure exactly how big he is at this point. I just know that it is a absolute toad of a deer and that if he stops, I'm going to, I'm going to fling an arrow at him. Okay. So he, he passes underneath my stand. I mean, he, close? he literally, I mean, he was a yard away from the tree I was sitting in. Okay. Um, passes by, I have my bow in my hand. I'm drawn back and I'm, by the time he actually stopped, I'm yelling at this, this buck, just I'm bleeding and bleeding and bleeding. And by the time he stopped, I'm yelling at him. Yeah. So he, he stops at 27 yards behind a tree. And all I can see from where I'm sitting is his horns protruding around the tree and his breath. You could see his breath coming out from, from behind the tree. Oh, gnarly. It was, it was like absolutely surreal. I didn't know what exactly was about to happen. Um, I, I knew that he had a bunch of trash on his bases and I knew that he was just the biggest deer I had ever seen the, uh, like that close. Yeah. Um, with no shot. With no shot. Right. Okay. So he takes, go ahead. No, go, you go ahead. Um, he, he stops and he, I guess he's just kind of looking around. He takes two steps to the left and he was quartering away just a hair. So, I mean, he was pretty much broadside, but you know, quartering away just a hair. Um, and he gave me about a two foot window through some limbs to, to take a shot and I launch an arrow and I, I just, you know, that, that sound you hear when you, you lung a deer and it's just like, I heard that. And I was like, Holy crap. Like what, what just happened? I, arrow completely passes through deer kind of, I mean, he jumps and kicks really hard and he, he goes in the direction where the doe had gone. So like initial reaction, I'm like, Oh crap. Like I just shot like, a giant deer and I, I'm not so sure about my shot. Uh, you know, I'm thinking that I hit him a little far back. Right. So I kind of like, I kind of try and collect my thoughts while having like this mini freak out on a, you know, seven by 12 predator platform, um, trying not to, you know, be swinging from this tree <laughs> in my, my ass hammock. Right. Um, right. and, I'm, I'm like replaying it in my head. I'm like, was it back? Was it back? Was it not? So I'm freaking out. You know, I, this is the biggest deer I've ever shot. Um, and I call my buddy Clayton who had shot a deer. He shot one earlier that morning. So 
I call him and I wish I could have had like this on recording because it would, it would have been nothing but like censored beeps because I was freaking out so much. I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> I love those and, phone calls, by the way. Dude, it was, it was, he, he knew that I'd shot a, a giant because he was like, D- you couldn't breathe. Yeah. He, he told me that he was like, you were having trouble breathing and speaking and telling me what was going on. So I knew you had shot something just like awesome. Well, I told him, I was like, I think the shot's a little far back. I'm not sure. I haven't gotten down at all to see my arrow or anything yet. He was, and he, he just told me, he said, stay put. He said, just collect your thoughts, kind of replay in your head what you think happened and give yourself, you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes and then get down and go and try and find your arrow. So I did that. In the meantime, I, you know, I'd called my dad <laughs> and when I, this is funny. When I got on the phone with my dad, I was still kind of freaking out. And my dad's older. He's 75. He thought that I'd fallen from a tree and, and I was calling <laughs> to tell him goodbye. Cause I was freaking out. He couldn't understand what I was saying. So here he is back in I South love you, Carolina. Dad. And I'm, yeah, that's exactly. He was like, he, he thought that I was calling him to say goodbye. Cause I had fallen out of a tree and I was dying. Oh my. When Lord. in reality, I had just shot the biggest deer of my life. Um, (laughs) yeah, so, you know, I call my dad, call my wife, tell her, um, and I, I get off the phone, I start to just play it back through my head, what happened. And I finally, you know, calmed down enough to where I think I can safely climb down out of this tree and go look for my arrow. Yeah. Well, I get down and I'm, I'm walking over where I think that I shot the deer at and I'm, I'm seeing nothing no blood, no air. I'm like, I know this is where this deer is standing. And you can get disoriented, you know, coming from an elevated position to down on the ground and trying to remember where you, you shot an animal. I got very disoriented and I was starting to freak out a little bit thinking that I would just like completely blown this shot, not, you know, gut shot him cause I was back and you know, the arrow was just gone. I couldn't see it. No blood. And I look 15 yards to my right, and there's just blood everywhere with an arrow that is painted red. It looked like you had taken it and just stuck it down in just a giant bucket of red paint. That's awesome. Bingo. So, Got it. Yep. I was like, that's it. Like, that is for sure it. You know, that's a dead deer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, it ended up being um, the shot was a little back. Uh, I on the entry side, which was his left side, he was facing towards the left. His head was towards the left. Um, I clipped the left side lung, got his liver, and got his right side lung on the uh, exit wound. Um, so, you know, one one lung liver is what I'm going to call it. And he ran probably about 200, uh, two, 200 yards. Lots of blood, um, easy to find. Yeah. I mean, we had, we had good blood pretty much the whole time. Um, there was a couple of times where we had to like leave someone at last blood. Um, he either like leaped or bounded and, you know, just took a extra, you know, little step. And we, we just got right back on blood after we found, you know, after that happened, but yeah. Um, good blood the whole way. Um, let me, let me back up. So after I shot him, I found my arrow. 
I, I called Clayton. I said, I, he's, he's for sure a dead deer. He was like, okay, we'll back out and we're all going to go in together. There's four of us that were still there. So I'm like the most anxious I've ever been. You know, I just shot the biggest deer in my life. And here, here I am. My buddy's like, nah, dude, like, don't you go in and get that thing. You're going to wait on us. And I'm like, come on, man. Like I want to go. <laughs> so I back out to my truck, you know, get all my gear off, um, eat a little something and go help, uh, Clayton find his deer and, and load it up into the truck. And then by the time we had started tracking, it had been four and a half hours. So I shot him at eight fifty, and we went back in at like a little afternoon, almost one o'clock. Um, so I, you know, I'm antsy. I'm just raring to get back in there to go trail this deer. Um, and we, I mean, we blood tracked him, like I say, about 200 yards and there he laid. He never made a bed. He never stopped. He stumbled one time and fell, but he never made, I mean, he, where he laid down, that was his first bed and he, he was dead. Yeah. Well, that's awesome, dude. That's, uh, that's, uh, I, I love it when I, I like hearing stories like this because it wasn't like you showed up out of the blue and just got lucky. And, you know, I, I feel like there is a big part of hunting that is luck. Like a deer has sure. to show up and and has to be within shooting range in, or, in order for you to find success. And sometimes that right. can be very hard. But at the same time, it wasn't like this was your first rodeo in Kentucky, right? You went right. and you scouted, you worked hard, you found the location. And it was almost, to me, it sounded like you, you, you waited an entire year, probably thinking about where you're going to hunt for an entire year. And then when you showed yep. up, you know, you sealed the deal. And that's, uh, I love hearing stories like that, man. It was, uh, it was definitely, you know, a deer of a lifetime. We, um, we measured him that night and we green scored him at 145 inches, uh, 13 points. Um, and he had a split brow tine on the right side, just five inch bases. Yeah. Just absolutely, uh, a, a buck of a lifetime in, in my book. I might hunt the rest of my life and, and never shoot a deer of that caliber, but I'm damn sure going to try. Yeah, absolutely, man. Well, uh, let me tell you, congratulations on an absolutely beautiful animal and an awesome story. And uh, good luck the rest of the season, man. Thanks. I appreciate it. You too. Are You're tagged out in Iowa? I'm tagged out in Iowa. Well, I mean, so, as far uh, as my buck tag, I, I got three doe tags that I'm going to try to okay. get out and, and go get. But uh, I might go get a, a late season muzzleloader tag and just use my bow. But other than that, I'm behind a desk recording podcasts now. Hey, uh, you know, you get to hear some pretty wild stories, so right. there's nothing wrong with that. That's right. Um, well, no no other trips planned for this year? No, man, I'm done. Now it's time to stuff gotcha. my face with Thanksgiving food. <laughs> Hell yeah, heard that. Ladies and gentlemen, another podcast in the books. Huge shout out to Croft, man. Congrats on a beautiful deer. Awesome story. Huge shout out to all of you for taking time to listen to this episode. Please make sure you're subscribed to wherever you download. Make sure that you're following along on Instagram and Facebook. And then also make sure that you continue to grind it out the rest of the season and go kill something, whether it's a uh, 
a big old buck or you're just looking to fill the freezer man it's it's funny we we worship this time of year all year round and now it's here we're hunting and just as fast as it's come it's almost gone right november is almost over so if you get the opportunity go spend some time in the timber man because uh I don't know. That's what we live and die for, right? So other than that, huge shout out to all the partners of this podcast, Vortex Optics, Ozonics, Lone Wolf Prime, Wasp, and uh, Ozonics Prime, Ripcord, Arrow Rests, right? Huge shout out to all of those companies. Please go out and support those companies because they support this podcast. And uh, I, I honestly could not do what I'm doing without their support. So huge shout out. Other than that, thank you again very much and uh there's still time so get after it and if you're going to be in a tree please wear your damn safety harness stay tuned for episode 700 coming wednesday morning